Watermark, how are we doing this morning? We are starting a new series called How to Be Rich. Now listen, if you're a guest and you walk into a church that looks like uh, it only wants to tickle your ears and you saw that the title of a new four-week series they were doing was titled How to Be Rich, uh, I wanted to thank you for not leaving. Because what I'm not going to do is to tell you how to be rich in the way the world defines rich. That may not be a surprise, although it might be if you're a guest, because there's lots of places that this morning are tickling the ears of people and they're telling you that if you serve God and honor God and do what you should do, if you give to him, he will return to you that which is pressed down and uh, spilling over and, and, and be shaken so more can come in, that God will give you more than you could ever give him, that like God is some lottery machine that you put in some money that returns to you great reward and riches, that health, wealth, and prosperity will be yours if you serve God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's nothing in the scriptures which indicate that material prosperity or physical health will be yours if, in fact, you serve and honor God. Now, let me just say something to you real quick right here, because there are verses that are very confusing in the scripture that lend ourselves to think this way. In, in uh, Joshua chapter one, verse eight, it says, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth, so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. And when we think of prosperity and success, we typically think in terms of square footage and um, and income, and uh, we think about how we're perceived by the world and how comfortably we live in life, and that is a bad view of prosperity and success. Because as the scriptures tell us again and again, um, better is, uh, in the scripture it says in Proverbs 17, for example, uh, verse one, that better is a dish of vegetables and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. And there's a lot of very materially wealthy people in this world, a lot of famous, acclaimed people in this world that are successful and that are rich in the things that the world aspires for and longs for, that have homes full of strife. Proverbs 15 talks about um, this in a different way in verses 16 and 17. It, it, it talks about how, um, how there's turmoil in the house. It says, better is the little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. You can have a lot of riches and have turmoil and it's not a very peaceful place. Proverbs 15, 17 is a lot like Proverbs 17, 1. It says, better is a dish of vegetables where um, love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. I'm not gonna tell you how to be materially rich today because I don't think that will ultimately make you happy. I do wanna say this, most of us are materially rich. I'm gonna talk about the fact that I am one of the richest people on earth, not materially, but let me just tell you something. I also am materially rich. So are most folks that are gonna to listen to this message. According to the global rich list, which you can go to, if you just put in your annual income, and if your annual income is $25,000, if your annual income, that isn't even your, your personal holdings or savings or the car you drove in or the clothes you own or the house that you maybe have uh, part ownership in with the bank. If you make $25,000 a year, period, and we lined up all of humankind, one to 100, there would only be two people in front of you in line if you make $25,000 a year in US dollars. We are all rich. And the Bible tells us who are rich in this material way that we are to be rich in good works. 
Now I'm gonna stick one more thing in right here so I can get away from it. Um, my friend, <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, who I never met because he's been dead <laughs> decades before I was born, said this, and I want you to know I agree with him. I believe, in fact, that it is anti-Christian and unholy. This is Spurgeon's quote, and it could be mine. I believe it is anti-Christian and unholy for any Christian to live with the object of accumulating wealth. Now watch, you might say, this is Spurgeon continuing, well, are we not to strive, all of us, to get all the money we can? I would say to you, as Spurgeon did, you may do so. I cannot doubt, but what? In doing so, you may do great service to the cause of God, as so many of you have here in giving. But what I said was that no man should live with the object of accumulating wealth and call himself Christian. In fact, the Bible warns against that. It says that the love of money, if the object of your life is to get more money and to be rich in the world's eyes, you will have fattened oxes at your table and you will have hatred with it. You will have strife. You will have a lack of peace. Because money is an idolatry uh, that will never satisfy. And so I'm gonna tell us that if our goal is to be rich by the world's definition, then it is uh, an unholy and an anti-Christian goal. In fact, when you ask people, according to the Pew uh, Research Center, um, you ask millennials, right? I don't think millennials are that different than 20-somethings from generations past in many ways. Here's one way I don't think they're different. If you ask millennials what their greatest goal is right now, what they want, what their secret desire, or maybe not so secret desire is, 80% um, of them said it's to be rich and famous. It's what they want. It's what they want because uh, they think that's going to provide for them happiness. The, the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Part of the deceitfulness of riches is that it's going to promise you something it can never deliver. And, and um, you know, you think that, uh, if I just had it, I'd be the one person that could get it and be satisfied with it. Only to find out when you get there, that is not the case. Now, the Bible does say that if you're an individual that, um, that focuses on the Lord and his will and way, that you will be prosperous and successful. And so what does that mean? Let me insert one more thing here. Okay, because I'm now gonna make that transition. Not only am I um, well in front of most of people in the, the line of humanity, I am not just rich in a material, worldly way with great accountability that comes with it. And any of you who make $25,000 a year are right there with me. I am one of the wealthiest men on earth. I told some friends, as I was thinking about what I was gonna do this week, that I really want their prayers, because this is a message I probably shouldn't give in the sense that um, I wanna wait another 30 years before I give it. But in another way, I don't wanna wait. Because I wanna tell you that I'm not just rich in the world's eyes, I am rich. If you put me in a line of 100 people, I would only be, well, I'd be in the very front of the line. And uh, I don't think there'd be anybody in front of me, but there might be other people standing with me. I am one of the richest men on earth. And I'm gonna tell you how to join me. And I'm gonna tell you how to be rich. Because I may not have a bunch of fat oxes, and I may not have um, the finest uh, possessions, although I have more than I probably deserve, 
I have wealth that is beyond those things. I was talking this week to a guy that um, has accomplished amazing things in life, and he said, listen, Todd, bottom line, I don't really care what's going on with me. If I have hope and purpose and joy, I can do anything, and this is where I am rich. I have hope, purpose, and joy in an abundance. And the reason I have it is not because I'm smarter than anybody, but because the kindness of God has shown himself to me. I am rich in every way that God intends. If, um, if you look at the scripture and uh, what God says, I'm not gonna do this. I could spend our entire time just in Ephesians chapter one, two, and three, when Paul is walking through what happens to those of us who come into a relationship with Christ, he uses the word rich six times. Watch this. In Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The reason I'm going to share with you what I'm gonna share with you today is because I have experienced the riches of his grace. Because Proverbs 22.4 is true. Uh, this series I wanted to teach because of Proverbs 22.4. Proverbs 22.4 says this, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. This is where health, wealth, and prosperity liars, deceivers, false prophets take verses like this in Joshua 1.8 and abuse people. And they are all over, many in this city and state. American uh, churches have exported prosperity gospel around the world, and it is one of the greatest um, judgments against our country and pulpits that have ever come out of our land. It's just not true. But Proverbs 22.4 is true. Because Ephesians 1.7 is true. Because Ephesians 1.18 is true. That when you know Christ, the riches of the glory of his inheritance is yours. Because Ephesians 2.4 is true. When you know God, you are then who is rich in mercy, then you receive that mercy and you yourself have received all the mercy that God intends. In Ephesians chapter two, verse seven, we have the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Ephesians 3.8 says this, that Christ has given to me, the very least of all men, the ability to preach to the Gentiles about the unfathomable riches of Christ. In him, as we teach our kids over there, all the wisdom of God is found. And then in Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, it says that we will experience and he'll grant us the riches of his glory. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which simply just means this, that when we live our life according to a way that seems right to us, it doesn't lead to greater glory. It leads to greater trouble. But here's the amazing thing. When God was on earth in the person of Jesus Christ and his disciples came to him and said to him simply this, hey, we want to be great. We want glory. We want to be men that are seen at your right hand and at your left hand. Jesus doesn't look at them after three years and go, what are you asking for? Who are you guys? What do you mean you want to be great and glorious? He doesn't do that. This is what Jesus says to him. He goes, that's great. That's a fantastic goal. Do you know I created you for glory? Do you know I created you to be my representatives on earth? Do you know I want you to be glorious men and women? you know I want sin I don't want sin to, to, to come and taint you and to deface the image of God that is in you. But here's the thing. The way you become great is not through politicking. The way you become great is not through inside maneuvering. The way you become great is not so that you can um, lord it over others as the non-believers do. No, be like me, Jesus says. 
For even I, the Son of Man, God eternal, didn't come here to be served, but to serve and to give my life away for others. You wanna be rich, be a servant. You wanna prosper, give your life away. You want success, then don't live for your own glory. What's glorious is a man who lives the way Jesus lives. And when you live the way Jesus lives, I'm here to tell you this. It is a rich life. Now, the reason I I just hesitate a little bit on on this message is because I still got a lot of life in front of me, I think. I would love to be able to, right now, I just have a a good friend who this weekend is um, on the very cusp of moving into the presence of Jesus. And he said this to me, he just said, Todd, he goes, I have uh, run this race and I am face down in the dirt, poured out, having done all I can for the king. And he has been. Uh, we thought we were gonna lose him last week. I shot him a text. I said, I'm about to get on a plane. I pray the plane goes down so I can beat you to glory. But if it doesn't, all right, if it doesn't, I wanna be faithful until I get home. I'm here to tell you that for 35 years, I have walked largely with Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God, and as such, I've experienced the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness to me towards Jesus Christ. The riches of his glory have been put on me. The glory of his inheritance have been mine. And I have walked, because he's shown me who he is, in the fear of the Lord and humility. And I wanna tell you, mine is riches, and mine is honor, and mine is life indeed. Now, I can still screw this thing up at any given moment. And there have been lots of times over the last 35 years that um, I haven't followed my king and my savior. By the grace of God, I've never done that in such a way as to violate the privilege of leadership with you. But there are times in my home I don't follow Christ and I bring strife. There are times in, um, in my heart alone I drift away from meditating on the word of God without ceasing. And because of that, there is darkness that comes into me. But I'm gonna tell you, by and large, by the grace of God, the direction of my life and the preponderance of my affections and my abiding has been with Jesus. And because of that, I am one of the richest people on earth. What's behind this stuff right here is just some of the trophies of grace that God has given me. All right, I can, um, I, I think back, you know, my wife, my sweet wife, you know, uh, in Father's Day 2007, just gave me this, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. These are my five kids that have already graduated from high school. There's another footprint that wasn't born yet. That's about to enter into his freshman year. This footprint just told me he's so excited to go to college and live faithfully. The one thing that he is gonna miss is the community of faith of which he's a part of here in Dallas, Texas. He says, one of the reasons I wanna go to college is I love the people of God that I get to share life with in Dallas. These four footprints are leading in the church and are pursuing a life of riches themselves. They all live in Dallas right now and uh, we're having family dinners where we sit and we laugh. My wife loves me. She longs to share herself with me in intimacy. She's sad when I leave, glad when I come home. She makes me want to be there. I'm telling you, without Christ, we've said this before, without Christ, I would be a porn addict, a substance abuse addict. I would be divorced. My children would hate me and I would hate myself. That's who I would be. 
but that's not who I am because about 35 years ago, Jesus showed up in my life and so I've walked with him. This is a, um, a note I got from Blake Holmes, who now is on staff with me here. Uh, when he was, I think, a sophomore in high school, he wrote me a poem called Light. And he just says, you know, Todd, uh, this poem, he said, it's just a, a small um, expression of my gratitude towards you. This was, this was written um, in 89. He says, this is a, you're a man who influences everyone's life, an individual who settles strife, a man of commitment to one, an individual devoted to the sun, a leader of compassion and love, a teacher who finds peace from above, a leader constantly providing assistance, a teacher of generosity, for instance, a person never showing favor. And he goes on just to talk about this, that you're light. And then he writes down, you know, Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Let others see your good works. Others may, um, you know, glorify your father who is in heaven. And Blake's just saying, Todd, I've seen that in, in your life. This is a, another gift I've got that's a compass where somebody, you know, gave this to me and just said, hey, man, you know, when, when you're sailing and you got to make your way through storms, you don't know which way to go. You need a compass to direct you. You have been a source of God's grace in my life to point me through this world, how to sail in such a way that I have not dashed my hopes on the fleeting things of the world. I've got notes here. I've got notes from my kids. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was getting ready to go speak somewhere and somebody did my, the greatest thing they've ever done to me. They didn't read some tired bio that we write here. They called my kids and they said, can you just tell me what you think of your dad? My two oldest daughters just, this is, they said, here's the 10 things I would tell you about my dad. He teaches us the way to live so we don't have to learn by pain. And when necessary, he disciplines us. He loves us no matter what we do. He encourages us and helps us. He writes awesome letters to us all the time. He gets us, me roses for no reason. He treats me like a princess. He's thoughtful. He's kind. He loves on friends and my friends, and he has fun. I'm proud to invite them over to our house. He loves my mom well. He makes me secure. He's humble and forgiving. He knows his Bible. My other daughter, he's wise. He backs everything up with God's word. He's funny. He's unashamed to share his faith. He's intentional with everyone he meets. He's intentional in every conversation. He encourages and challenges me in my walk. He leads our family. He's good at every sport. <laughs> he, he lives what he preaches. He lives what he preaches and is a leader I can follow. Let me just tell you something. I am rich. And the reason that I'm rich is because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. This is what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter nine. It warns us. It says, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might, nor let a rich man boast in his riches. Hear me. I am not boasting in my riches. I am boasting, and what I'm telling you today is that the Lord is the one who makes wealth. And I'm not talking about material wealth, though I make more than $25,000, and I'm at the front of the line. There is nobody ahead of me on earth with hope, purpose, and joy. It doesn't mean I didn't get diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. It doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. It means that the man who walks with the Lord is blessed. You wanna know how to be rich? Let me tell you. In fact, um, I just graduated this footprint from high school. Friday night, Saturday morning, another boy that we have invited into our family. Um, for the last 10 years, we graduated him Saturday morning, and so I've heard a lot of different speeches that have given at commencements right now. The valedictorian of my son's high school class who had a, a 4.79 GPA on a four-point scale. <laughs> when she was 11, she was taking high school-level AP classes. Before she got to high school, she had exhausted all 
advanced level math classes they teach, so she went to high school and took college math classes at SMU. I could go to school for eight years, add both of my GPAs together, and still not be valedictorian if she's in my class. <laughs> and this sweet little girl stood up and she got to speak because she was, um, you know, just, just, just so, just a cute little, sweet little girl, and she stood up there, and here's what she said, though. She just said to my classmates, what I want you to do is to follow your heart. Now, I understand the sweetness of that little 18-year-old scholar in what she's encouraging her friends to do, but I'm telling you, that's not gonna make you rich. You should not follow your heart. Your heart is desperately sick and deceitful above all else. You shouldn't follow your heart. You should inform your heart. The world, the flesh, and the devil are, are, are here to um, just, just to pull you away from the God who loves you, who in following him, all your ways will be peace. If you follow your heart, you're gonna follow the, the, the seductive tongue of the adulteress. If you follow your heart, you're gonna want what the world says will make you great, position and pleasure and possessions. Because that's what this world offers. But God offers you something so much more. And so I'm not standing up here and giving you my wisdom. I'm not boasting in my wisdom. I'm not boasting in my might. Apart from Jesus, I would be a wreck and those footprints would hate me. I'm here to tell you, for whatever reason, God sought me. And God has shown me his kindness. For whatever reason, you're here this morning so somebody can testify to you what scripture says we should all do. Psalm 107, this is what I'm trying to do. Psalm 107 says this, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Um, yesterday I was doing some reading on the transcendence of God. It's one of the characteristics of God that, that um, he is beyond all else. And let me just tell you, the greatness of God is such that, that, that when you think about the greatness of God, the greatest thought that you have about God is not great enough. Whatever you think about, when you think about beauty and love and mercy and goodness and kindness, it's not enough. But if you have enough of it so that you fear missing out on any opportunity to learn from him, if you humble yourself before him, if you don't follow your heart, but you lean not on your own understanding, but you say, in all my ways, I'm gonna acknowledge the God that as great as I can know he is, is greater still, then I'm telling you, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Do you want to know how to be rich? then I'm just pouring my heart out before you and I'm telling you, give thanks to the Lord. Verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed out of the hand of the adversary. That's my story. God has redeemed me out of the one who's come to steal my joy, kill my purpose and destroy my self-worth. He's, he's taken me out of pursuing my own way. I mean, look at I don't know what you guys know about me, but I did not grow home, grow up in a home that, that taught me to walk with Jesus. I grew up in a home with loving parents who were present and made choices selflessly to care for me. I was blessed to be in a two-parent home with my biological parents. But my parents were a victim of cultural Christianity. And I hated it. 
There was nothing about me that ever wanted anything to do with this God where I saw irrelevant, inconsistent people live their life in such a way that largely had a Sunday, Monday through Friday divide. I grew up in a home where we never prayed except for God is great, God is good, and we thank him for his food. By his hand, we must be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. We never once that I can remember opened our Bible as a family. And the church that I went to was the place that uh, I was first exposed to all kinds of nonsense. And yet in the midst of that, God sought me. I can remember for whatever reason, when I would make some money mowing lawns, I would go to this little Christian bookstore in my town and I would, I would buy a devotional. I, I remember one devotional I had that I hid under my bed like, like a playboy. It had a polar bear on the front of it, it was called Cool. <laughs> Devotionals for junior high teens. I didn't even know God. And yet God told me, hey, Todd, there's something here you should know. Maybe you don't see it in all of its fullness where you are, but, but I'm telling you, I am who I said I am. And then I gotta tell you, along about seventh grade, this is what happened to me. This is the biographical part of my story. About seventh grade, um, this kid who was a good athlete and was a, uh, in, the, in the center of it with all of his buddies and have a lot of fun, those friends started to smoke weed. They started to drink. And I was like, hey, I thought we were athletes. And they go, we're athletes, but we're going to party like athletes. And I go, no, I don't want to do that. And they go, well, if you don't do that, then you're not going to do us anymore. And I was like, what? what? You're telling me that I thought we were friends. You're telling me I've got to do that to be your friend? And they go, absolutely. I used to sit at lunch with those friends. Still, they do stuff like, hey, we're going to the lake this weekend. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I'm sorry, Ty, wait. This one, two, three, four. Oh, man, my mom only got five seats in the car. Me, these four guys. Are, oh, so sorry, bro. We wish you could go. I mean, they would just turn it. I can remember my seventh, eighth, ninth grade years and, and those, I can't tell you how many times I cried myself to sleep. I remember um, missing out on the parties. I remember New Year's Eve, my parents were upstairs playing cards with their friends. I went with them because all my friends were at a party at Diana Jocelyn's house and I'm sitting down in that basement and I just started crying watching the ball drop in New York at 11. I knew everybody else was together. They were having a blast my older brother was at the party. He was having a blast. They were all having a big time. And I'm just sitting there in a basement with a 10-year-old that I hardly knew. And I just start crying. They come downstairs, look at me like, what is wrong with you? If you ever are watching on TV land an episode of Love Boat or Fantasy Island and something erupts where you can't watch the end, call me. I know how they all end. Because, <laughs> because that was my Saturday night. It was me, Julie, and the captain, right? And then de plane, de plane, right? That's all I did. And then I'd go to bed. If the Cardinals were on the West Coast, I'd listen to an AM transistor radio and I'd cry because I was lonely and yet God sought me. He sought me in the purpose, in the person of Jeff Kogan and Michelle LeCrone and Paul Frazier, John Splinter. Jeff was the quarterback on our high school football team, he saw some skinny high school kid walking through the halls, and he, he just loved on me. I, he said, hey, Todd, you want to hang out? Because I hadn't hung out for three years. And he said, do you want to do something with us? I go, like, with who? He goes, with me and my friends. I go, like, what is this, right? Are you going to pick on a freshman? And eventually he called me, and I went out with he and his friends. And we had fun together, and there was no evil and they invited me to this thing called Young Life. Where for the first time, I saw people love and live 
out of the scripture and they told me the way they loved and lived out of the scripture is because that God of the scripture was real to them. Eventually, you know, months and years later, I'd go to a Young Life camp, I'd hear the gospel in a different form and it changed my life. And then John, who was my Young Life leader, began to pour into me and teach me God's word and disciple me and help me read books about basic Christianity and know why you believe. I did my intellectual work to make sure that I wasn't just being duped, but I saw people whose love made me go, I wanna know your father, and it changed me. I'm about to be 55 in a couple of weeks. And I can tell you that by the grace of God, for about 38 years plus, I have walked with him. And I am rich. My son writes me notes like this, Dad, I don't thank you enough for what you do for me. On a good day, I'll say thanks after we get lunch that I really wanted, or maybe it simply is, you got it, made me a sandwich, but the thankfulness I'm talking about is the kind that I should be thankful for forever. You have taught me exactly what it means to be God's man. This was in 2012. To be a young man that lives a pure life, a person whose friends want to be with them because there's something different about me. Those things among many more, the things I'll be thankful for forever. I wish I could be with you on this special day. He was away on Father's Day to celebrate how great of a dad you are, but I'll hopefully be putting the servant leadership aspect that you've instilled in me to work. I love you. I'm glad you're my dad. I am rich. And I'm here to tell you the reason I'm rich is because God has made me attentive to this book. I didn't seek him. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. Now listen, I did my work. I wanna know why this was better than the Bhagavad Gita. I wanna know why this was better than the Quran. I wanna know why the resurrection account could be trustworthy. I wanna know how God could be man. I did my work. I found out that, that uh, faith is not the opposite of reason. The opposite of reason is irrationality. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And there was just too much rational evidence that this book was true. And then I began to test it. And I'm here to tell you, I have run a lab for 38 plus years, and it is true. I'm here to tell you what Solomon said, that the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And I want you to pray for me that I cling to that. Psalm 107 continues, says, he gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. They came from all over, people who eventually um, were called back into relationship with God, people who had wandered in a wilderness, in a desert region. You might be here today and you might have material wealth, but you are, um, have turmoil and hatred and strife with it. Or you may not have all the purpose and joy and hope that you should have. And so you are impoverished in some way. And I'm telling you that God wants to call you out of, his, out of your wilderness of following a way that seems right to you. And he wants you to inform your heart about his goodness and the abundance of his greatness and his riches. People have been wandering throughout the desert regions, not finding a city to dwell in that will give them peace. That's the end of verse four who were hungry and thirsty, whose souls fainted within them, verse six, who cried out finally to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. That's my story. I'm not here to tell you I'm better than you. I'm not. I am here to tell you that the living God is better than you can imagine, and that's how to be rich. I'm here to tell you that what you wanna do is invest 
in things that will make you truly rich. This is Jesus's heart for you. This is why when Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter six, he does something, it just looks like, um, you know, like the teleprompter he's reading off of there at the, on the mount that he's giving a sermon on. That somebody just jacked around with him and just stuck in sentences that don't make sense. What am I talking about? Watch this. In Matthew chapter six, verse 19, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Like, there we go. Jesus wants us to live a life of, you know, of abstract poverty. No, that's not what he's saying there. He said, I don't want you to invest in things that moth will eat and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. That's not good riches. That's unreliable riches. He goes on to say in verse 20, but instead, this is where you should store up for yourself treasure. In heaven, where, where moth and rust and thieves aren't gonna break in, steal, or destroy. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart's gonna be also. So make sure you treasure the things that will make you truly rich. And then here comes the change in the teleprompter. Watch this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then watch, it just jumps back all of a sudden in verse 24. So look, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be to one and, be, and despise the other. You can't serve God and worldly wealth is the point right there. And you're like, what happened in the middle there with this light and lamp and eye thing? Let me explain to you. What he's saying is if you see the world wrong, we call this today a worldview. It's the lens through which you see reality. And because you and I have a heart that if we follow it, will have us follow after fleeting things. We want riches and fame and wealth that are limited in a way that will never satisfy us and that we're gonna leave behind anyway. Jesus is not gonna work out well for you and I love you. And I don't want you to wander through the wilderness of this world suffering in the best opinions of men, folks with four, seven, nines who will tell you, follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart, humble yourself. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That doesn't mean easy. Okay, listen, when, when, you, when, you, get to a, a, um, when you get to the edge of a sea and, and the horrors of the powers of the world are coming about you, I'm gonna tell you, God will make your path straight. He's gonna, he's gonna do one of three things. He's gonna either part the waters, build a bridge, or teach you to swim. One of those three things is gonna happen. And I'm gonna tell you that sometimes he teaches us to swim, but you've got to lose the small-minded mindset that God's a tit-for-tat God, that if I do good, God will bless me with material things. That's not what he promises. Read your Bible. What is true is that when you do what God wants you to do as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a human, your life is glorious in a way that the world says, I may not like why you do what you do or what you say you believe, but I can't argue with your kindness and your generosity and your faithfulness and your chastity and your servant-heartedness. Oh, that there were more like you. And in everything that we're more like Jesus, the world will say that of us. What don't they like about the church? What they don't like about the church is not that we love Jesus, it's that we don't look like Jesus. And in every way that we look like Jesus, you are rich. Listen, can I just tell you a story? God gave me this story this week. I was at, um, at Costco, and uh, my wife actually called me. I was running up here because 
Um, I had something up here on Thursday night with a bunch of our lawyers that work with our district attorney in town who had a real problem with a bunch of folks that she had scrubbed a bunch of cases and there were folks that had felony charges that were um, still attributed to them so they couldn't get jobs and housing and, and, um, and uh, education in some ways. And so she said, we, but I just need lawyers that'll help me sponge their record, these people that we know build or people that... Um, for whatever reason, the case was dismissed. The charges are still there, and so no one wants them to live in their place. They won't get admitted to schools, and they can't get jobs. I said, I can get you some attorneys. We got nothing but godly attorneys who want to serve. So she came up, our, our faithful district attorney, Faith Johnson, here in town, came and trained our attorneys, and then those men sat here, and those women, for three-plus hours. And everyone we called, we, about 140 of them said, come here. We want you for free. Sponge your records. And, and I was coming up to speak to them and encourage them and celebrate with our attorneys what was going on. So I'm coming up here to do a good thing. My wife said, hey, can you stop by Costco, get some more toilet paper and, and paper towels? I go, sure. I run into Costco. And on my way back to the paper towel and toilet paper section, I see a tool I needed for my grill. And so I took it and I threw it in the shopping cart and I continued to go back there. And I, I took uh, the paper towels and the toilet paper and I loaded up my cart and I got up there and my, my cart stacked up high. And the guy goes, don't take it out. I'll just scan it. So he scans the paper towels. He scans the toilet paper. I wheel out. The guy takes my receipt. He swipes it. I go out to my car. I unload the paper towels. I unload the toilet paper. And there's about a $20 tool for my grill at the very bottom that was flat underneath all that. And I go, first of all, you know, Costco's a very liberal company advancing agenda I'm not really proud of. I hate that I shopped there to begin with. <laughs> so they don't need this extra 20 bucks. They're not gonna miss it. They'll write it off. They might even find it in their inventory. Good, right? It's their fault. They swipe my receipt, not me. And I just thought, this isn't about Costco and their agenda. This isn't about whether they ever know it was gone or not. It's about who you are. And so I loaded the stuff and I grabbed that little stupid barbecue tool and I walked back in. It's about five o'clock. Everybody's buying their rotisserie chickens. The line's 10 deep. I go, hey guys, I got out. This was not on my deal. And so I need to pay for it. They go, great, go get in line. I'm like, what? Go get in line. So I'm back in line. I'm sitting there kind of like this. I'm looking down. It's costing me more than 20 bucks to stand there, you know? I come up, I explain to the lady what happened, and, 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 you know, and she goes, oh, that's really nice, thank you, right? And paid for the thing, and I walk out, the guy um, checks my thing again, and I walk out to my car, and I leave. And I back my car out, and I start to drive, and I got a flat, because I picked up a screw in the Costco parking lot. <laughs> and you know, the first thing that hit me was, God, thank you, thank you, that I did what I should have done, so I am not so small-minded as to think that the reason there's a screw in my tire is because I just stole 20 bucks worth of barbecue food. <laughs> because aren't we like that? Don't you think that way, that if I don't do this and get to confession before uh, you know, this happens, I'm gonna get hit by a bus on the way home from school? That is unbiblical thinking. If God flattened our tires, Every time we didn't do what was right, we'd all be Flintstones. There wouldn't be a single one of us who would have anything. But you need to hear this, guys, okay, is that God doesn't keep screws from going in your tire because you do the right thing and walk with him that nobody ever knows about. You can be the most righteous girl on earth and, and, and walk in integrity and purity and get married and not have children. You can be a faithful, loving father and your child can get taken out on the way to serve at a young life camp. You can live a godly life and your spouse will, for whatever reason, not choose to live the same godly life. 
What you don't want to be is somebody who screws your own life up by making choices that just litters your own yard with trash that are going to constantly give you flats. And what God is saying is, listen, you live in a world where you're going to have trouble. I had trouble. I saw him. I go to, from there to discount tire. I get up there. And my car is flat. I barely make it. Okay. And, and then there's an RV in there that has taken all four bays and is having every tire changed. I'm trying to get up here to be with our district attorney that I told would be here. I have no transportation, and I'm just sitting there. An hour and a half later, I bust out of there. I get here a little late. They delayed some opportunity for me. And then the next night, I'm taking my son to graduation. They didn't repair my tire ride. I go out to get in my car. It's flat again. That night, I get home from graduation. I got a house full of folks in from out of town. It's still 90 degrees at 10 o'clock at night. I lay down. Our air conditioner goes out. Health, wealth, and prosperity, anybody? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Because I didn't live with a sense of, I can't have joy without AC. I need tires that never get screws in them. I have a wife who loves me, kids who long to be with me, a heart that's full. And I don't think that the reason I've got air conditioning and godly kids is because I'm doing something. It's the grace of God. So much of it has come because I haven't screwed up my kids' life by littering our family room with my anger and my selfishness and my abandoning them to pursue greater glories. Oh, there is nothing but wealth in my life. What Jesus is trying to say is when you see the world incorrectly, you see it not with the light of the gospel of God's word. The word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And God wants to direct you in the good way. This is Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. It says, thus says the Lord, come and hear and see. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, the way of God where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, when you pursue new paths, the ways that seem right to men, there's a darkness that comes inside of you. And when darkness is inside of you, how great the darkness is. And what Jesus wants to do is expel the darkness. And he wants you to be informed by the kindness of his way and learn to walk in integrity and learn to walk in humility. And when you do, you're rich. Even when you've got ALS like my friend D. Even when your womb isn't open. Proverbs 3 just screams this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep commands, my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Oh, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart, for then you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or he'll give you hiking shoes or he'll belay you in with faith. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Drop down. It says, verse 13, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. I'm here to tell you I'm rich because I found wisdom and understanding. Her profit is better than the profit of silver and the gain better than fine gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happier are all who hold her fast. In other words, you won't be throwing screws in your own driveway. Doesn't mean there's not gonna be screws in the streets all around you in your Costco. 
Don't be surprised. It's a broken world. These streets aren't paved with gold yet. They're littered with screws. Just quit screwing your own life up. You know what would really be heartbreaking? Is that before I went into Costco, I went and took a nail and just went, and then walked in and came out, it's flat. Well, of course it's flat, you idiot. You just drove a nail into it. And then I got home, it was repaired, and I'd drive another nail into it. That is pain. If I'd gone out to my own air conditioner that night and cut the lines, beat it with a sledgehammer and go, it's hot. Of course it's hot. Proverbs chapter five talks about this when it's just talking about the, the way of the adulteress, it says this, now, now my son, listen to me and don't depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Talking about the adulteress. It goes on, it talks about how when you, when you follow your flesh and you follow your heart and what you think is right, you're, you're gonna suffer. You're gonna give your vigor to others. Your eyes are gonna be to the cruel ones. But watch this. When you, when you drop down to Proverbs a little bit later, at the very end of the chapter, this is the, the point that it's talking about right here. In Proverbs chapter five, um, it says this, watch. It says, when you don't walk in humility and the fear of the Lord, it says your own iniquities will capture you. It says that he will be held in the cords of his own sin. It says in verse 23, he'll die for his lack of instruction. And the greatness of his folly, he'll go astray. That is pain. That's pain. And I'm rich, not because there's not screws in my tires and cancer in my body or things like that, but because I understand why all that stuff is here. And I've got purpose and I've got hope and I've got joy. And I'm just passing through. And all I want to do is tell you about the greatness of my God. I'm rich. D's rich. His ALS is chewing his body up. He can't speak. And he's rich. I mean, here's just, I mean, listen, if you haven't caught the application, let me just give it to you as best I can in just big, simple, bold letters. Number one, you want to be rich? Then invest in things that last and provide joy forever and that don't spin off chunks of metal and shrapnel in your life. There's only three things that will last forever. You ready? And you invest in these things. Number one, you invest your life in humility before the living God who is so much greater than your greatest thought about him. And you, you, you pursue him. You pursue the only true and living good God, and you'll be rich. You might have flats, ACs that don't work, wives that lead, wombs that don't open, but you'll be rich. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Secondly, you invest in his word, which teaches you the kindness of the only true and good and God, and you walk in his blessed way. You're attentive to this. You don't read this like you need to or God's gonna be mad at you. You just go, Lord, how can I know about the one true and only good living God? Answer, read my word, hear more of my heart, understand my mind. This is the way of peace. This is who I am. This is why you wanna know me. I love you. No good thing do I withhold from those who love him. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments aren't burdensome. Proverbs chapter three just says this, and this is so true in verse 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet even when it's 90 degrees. And so you learn the way of wisdom. 
You commit to the one and only true and living God, and you commit to his word, which teaches you the kindness of the only one truly God, and then you commit to people. You love people who will forever thank you that you introduce them to the one and true and only living good God and add praise to the one and true and only good and loving God and will give the one true and only loving and good God what he wants, which is his children to come home and not be devoured by the enemy and the pain of screwing up their life by following their heart. Y'all, my life is rich because of Jesus who sought me and saved me and has held me and taught me to walk with him. And I have surrounded myself with others that when I do things that are consistent with his will and way for me who love me, they go, Todd, way to go. That's so of Jesus. And when you're of Jesus, it will bring hope and joy and purpose to your life. What else do you want? Nothing. Nothing. My God owes me nothing. He's given me more than I deserve already. I am rich in grace. You want to be rich? Get to know the one true and only loving and good living God. Be attentive to his word, not because he wants you to read it every day as some commitment to devotion, but because you are devoted to that which is a blessing to you. And then you share it with others. As one beggar who has found bread, tell other beggars where riches are. And celebrate every good thing in their life as they put down the shrapnel and quit screwing up their life and begin to lean on his own understanding, cheer them on. That's what we did here in all of our campuses two weeks ago when we celebrated people just doing something obedient and saying, I know the one true and only loving good God who gave his life for me. Because you, many of you who are rich, invested in others, there are stories of people who now sing praises to that one true and only living good God. And they're thankful. And they're rich with us in grace. Watch this. Hello, friends. Welcome to an amazing weekend. We celebrate that the words of Jesus are true. He said this crazy thing. He said, the works that he has done, even greater things will you do if you believe in me. And because a lot of you believe in Christ, you've been sharing your faith. You've been talking about the kindness of God and the way that he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. These are stories of life change that frankly feed us all year long. We are so grateful for the way you love your Lord by telling other people of his love for them. Let's celebrate baptism 2018, Watermark. that none of that can fill my heart the way that God does. 
get to be a new creation, committed wholly to my wife, to my walk with the Lord, living in community. Baptism isn't saving us, but it's a profession of our faith that we're united with Christ. I baptize today because I want to tell the world that I've been freed from sin and shame, that even I am covered by the grace of Jesus Christ, and that I have peace for the first time in my life. undeserving and yet he sacrificed himself for me to save me to wash me clean and that blows my mind hope, I had no joy, and I had no purpose. I was constantly at war with myself and riddled with anxiety, but I found peace now. More joy than I've ever felt in my entire life. I am no longer dead in my sin and, and that I've been raised to life with Him. God used so many people here at Watermark and His body just to bring me to a, a right understanding of who God in Christ is, and I'm so thankful for them. traded places with me, he traded everything so I can live a wonderful eternal life. cannot share what you do not have. And what you have, and when you have, and what you have is eternal and unending. You can share all of it and have no less of it. And so I, I wanna share with you my riches. I want you to have what I have. I want nothing from you except for you to know the one true and good living God. I want you to understand his word is what will show you his heart and his mind for you and the paths that lead to peace and hope and joy and purpose. And I want you to invest with me in those who are not yet children of God so you can have them look at you and say thank you that you were the, the vessel that the Spirit of God used to bring me into an understanding of where the riches are and then we'll add to the chorus of those that will sing all the songs that are worthy of our God. That's how to be rich. That's how to be rich. Let's just sing that, man. God in his kindness. I pray today somebody will be just unraveled 
from following their heart. And the mystery of the goodness of God will be made known to them. And that you'll become a child of God. If you are one, would you just testify with me through song? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's close with this. Let's stand together. So I'm rich and I can give to you what I have. If you are here, listen, just like you saw some of those folks say, man, I have been throwing screws in my driveway. I've been screwing my life up for years. It's, it's not too late. Listen, God, God retreads tires, man. He takes your mess and makes it your message. Some of the consequences of that are not going away, but you can begin today to make amends and repent and follow him and add blessing to the trouble that is in your life and find healing and make your sleep sweet. That can start today, but you've got to come. And you got to quit following your heart and start to follow him. And then, man, if you have been rescued, and would you come? We'd love to help you. And if you've already been rescued, man, he rescued you so you could stand and sing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're about to start a week of worship. And there are all kinds of people that are still drowning and in the wilderness. And you get to go and tell them where the inhabited city is, where God dwells. And it's with Jesus. It's who we are, church. It's who we are. Would you come if you don't know him? Would you, having been rescued, child of God, stand and sing if you do? Amen? Have a great week of worship. We'll see you.